Hey college kids, welcome back to my podcast. Today I have Shreya. This is part one of my interview with her. Make sure you subscribe so you know when part two comes out. And also make sure to check out my website, collegerealitycheck.com for more college-related content. Hey, college kids, welcome back to the podcast. Today, I have Shreya, who I knew back in elementary school, so maybe this will be a more lively conversation. So Shreya, if you could introduce yourself. Uh, Hey, everybody, this is Shreya. I'm a senior right now at Glenelg High School, and I have known Camilla for a very long time. We actually met in fourth grade, I believe. So it's been eight or nine years now, and I'm so excited to be on here and talk to you guys. Thank you so much for having me. Yep. So let's get into, before we start high school, let's just get to know you as an applicant. So you said your name. Can you talk about how you kind of grew up, how education was viewed in your family, like the expectations before going into high school? And then also, can you talk about kind of your high school itself? Is it a high school that where people are really competitive and try to strive for like the top schools? So can you talk a little bit about your situation there? Yeah, definitely. So I actually was not born in the US. I was born in India and I moved here when I was seven years old. So I started in ESOL. I didn't know English and I was in like the English as a second language program and stuff. So that's when I started in kindergarten, like the last couple months of kindergarten. But I've been uh, relatively in the same place for the next like 12, 13 years after that. And so right now I go to a high school called Glenelg and it's more of in like the countryside. There's like stereotypes of it being very like Western um, and like very much American. Um, But I do actually know both sides of this coin. So in my family, education is very much prioritized. It's primarily the reason that my parents immigrated here in the first place. They wanted to give my brother and I better opportunities and access to these colleges and top programs that you really only get by being in places like the US. And so education was always probably one of the highest values that my family has ever held. But when it comes to school, all of the middle schools that I went to, they were actually very, very competitive and they fed into the high schools that are now seen as very competitive, for example, Centennial. So since I went to Burley and I also went to Veterans, I do know a lot of the people that went that are now with those high schools. And I see those climates as being like very competitive. Everyone's getting into T10s and it's like insane, the stats of these types of schools. But coming oh, from that- Do you know how many people got into UPenn from Centennial this year? Oh, oh yeah. 11 yeah. people. Like- Yeah. It's it's crazy. I'm seeing your like all the Instagram stories, all the posts. I'm hearing about it from people. It's absolutely absurd. Meanwhile, the school that I go to, I'm having trouble finding people that applied to Ivy's. So to like we, yeah, we have three people from my school that are going to Ivy's. One other Penn, um, and then one Brown, mm-hmm. and then I'm the third one. But at my high school. It is not nearly as competitive as the schools that I've been at the types of people that are now centennial kids. Yeah. <laughs> it's the schools that those people have gone to. So I know that environment very well. And I also know the environment that I've spent the last three years in very well. And I would definitely say at a school like Glenelg, it's easier to stand out as an exceptional student just because there isn't, I wouldn't say there is as much of like, a cutthroat competition that I've heard about from other schools. But Mm -hmm. at the same time, there are really, really smart kids no matter where you go. Yes, there are obviously super smart kids at Glenelg too, but it just felt so much more 
of a community. And it just felt like everyone was kind of helping each other. Nobody was being super like secretive about common app or like college apps and things like that versus the stories that I've heard from some of my other friends that go to schools that are super competitive. It just seems like a really big difference in terms of how college is even approached at these like two different places. Yeah. I, I genuinely thought Glenelg was on the same as like Centennial. And so last year, Glenelg had a ton of acceptances. Last year, I think we had like a, one Harvard, two MITs, two Dukes, two Hopkins, mm-hmm. uh, crazy, crazy acceptances last yeah. year. But this year, I think there were a lot fewer people that applied in the first place. Uh-huh. So there were, I know three people are going to Ivy's and I'm, I know a couple other people that got in, but they chose different schools yeah. for different reasons. But compared to last year, there aren't that many like number like stats wise you can just read the names off the schools and people oh. are like, oh god it's harvard like there aren't that many oh okay i didn't know and for the record centennial is the school i go to i, <laughs> I thought glenelg was the was on the same level like i thought it was um what do you call it centennial marriott's and glenelg were like the top in terms of academics in our county i i'm not honestly right. i know river hills I, awesome. no, I had no clue about glenelg all i knew <laughs> was like I hear of it. I, know, <laughs> I, I was like, my literally, I thought of you. I was like, Shreya goes to Glenelg. Like, there must be other Shreyas at Glenelg. So, literally, there's so many smart kids in my grade okay. too. But they're like, there's a lot more of a consideration process in terms of picking schools now, mm-hmm. I feel like versus earlier on where it was just like, oh, if you get the name school, you go because they're mm-hmm. so expensive now yeah. that people are taking a lot of different things into account when they pick. Mm-hmm. I know a lot of kids that got into like these top schools, but not all of them are going to go there for yeah. whatever reasons might be pertaining to them. Huh. Okay. That's interesting. All right. So let's get into coming. Obviously said education is really important and stuff. So Let's get like the grades and the, what do you call it, like the stats, test scores and stuff out of the way first because they're not really interesting. So can you just, if you remember to the best of your ability, your weighted, unweighted GPA and give the scale that Glenelg uses. Also your super score SAT and then how many AP classes did you take? Okay. Yeah. So for GPA, our unweighted is at a 4.0 and it's just literally based on how many A's versus B's versus C's that you get. It doesn't matter what kind of classes you're taking. And on that scale, I had a 4.0 when I applied to colleges. Similarly on the weighted scale, that's at a 5.0, but the like level of classes that you take accounts into how many points it contributes to your GPA. So I believe when I applied, my weighted GPA was a 4.87. And the only non like GT or AP classes that I took was like the required art credit and PE and health and Spanish, I think, Mm because that was the first couple weren't honors at that point. So those three, that was GPA. SAT, I took it twice. I took it first in October of junior year. I got a 1550 on that one, which was 770 reading, 780 math. And then I took it two months later in December of junior year. I got a 1570 on that one. Both those scores went up by 10. So that was 780 reading and 790 math. And I kept that one. I didn't want to risk it going lower. So I just kept 1570 and it wasn't super scored. Um, APs at the end of senior year, I think I'll have taken 16 APs, but I didn't take all of those exams. I think I only took about 12 or 13 exams. Mm -hmm. And since I'm going to Penn, the fours don't matter. They only take the five. So I think I'm going to walk in with like maybe eight, five, seven, eight, five, something like that. And then the rest I got fours on, but those don't count. Okay. And then 
just like a side note, you, does UPenn actually accept anything to get you out of classes or general credit? Or is it simply just going into general credit? I, so I looked at their credit transfer policies and they, I know that they do accept some classes as like, they let you skip certain classes. So for example, I know AP micro macro, if you get fives on both of those, then that takes you out of economics 101 and 102, which is the intro level micro and macro economic Mm -hmm. classes. So I know some of them they take, but a lot of them they don't like, they don't take chemistry, for example, which is a very commonly accepted AP class. Or bio, it might be bio, I don't know, whatever. They don't take some of them. <laughs> okay, okay, that makes sense. Okay, I understand. All right, so we got that out of the way. Now let's go into extracurriculars. So did you go to Marriott's at first? I did. I went there freshman year and then I got redistricted to Glen Districted. Okay, so can you talk about, so let's start with Marriott's going freshman year. What was your kind of approach to extracurriculars? Because you are very knowledgeable. I'm sure you were like <laughs> aiming for the top schools from the beginning. <laughs> So can you talk about what you started with at Marriott's, like the different clubs you joined both in and out of school and then being redistricted? How did that affect your standing within the club going to Glen Elg? Yeah. So honestly, I walked into freshman year not knowing anything and I call it the older sibling effect just because when you're the older sister or older sibling in general, I like when my brother applies to college, I can literally give him a checklist of things to do that'll get him into like whatever schools that he wants. Mm -hmm. Like I have it down to a T now, but when you're going through the process as an older sibling, you don't have anybody to refer to. I'm the oldest cousin too. Like I- I And you're an immigrant and your parents didn't have this either. So- No parent, no parental guidance. They didn't go through the American college app process. Cousins didn't, brother didn't. So it's like, you're literally the guinea pig for everybody else. So um, going into it, I definitely was very clueless. And I was also, I feel like what most freshmen do, which is just like join as many clubs as you can, because mm-hmm. I thought clubs were going to like make or break my college app, which if you're listening to this, they don't. They're really helpful, but they're not going to be the difference between you getting into a really good school versus not getting into a really mm-hmm. good school. Anyway, I joined as many clubs as I could. I think I was in like SGA, Science Olympiad, Mock Trial, Debate. But Debate was definitely the one that had the most like lasting impact throughout high school when I got redistricted. So I did public forum debate, which is partner debate, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, you're debating with another person and you're against another team of two. When I got redistricted, the thing that I was most worried about was that I was now going to have to learn how to debate. Because I'm not going to lie, when I was at Marriott's Ridge, I just joined debate because my neighbor needed a partner and I kind of let him carry me. I just kind of like sat there mm-hmm. and like didn't say much. So when I got re- redistricted to Glenelg, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to need to find either somebody else equally good or I'm going to have to get as equally good. And unfortunately, I couldn't really rely on that first part. So I kind of have to figure things out myself. So basically, I joined like an independent debating academy. It's super popular and on the East Coast in general. It's called Potomac Debate, and they primarily focus on public forum. And basically, throughout quarantine, when most of the tournaments went virtual, that was really good because you could literally debate every single weekend if you wanted to. So when I joined Potomac, I would basically just sign up for as many tournaments as I possibly could, however many free weekends I had, which was honestly a lot of them because it was locked down. (laughs) And I just debated as much as I possibly could because my goal was to become a self-sufficient debater before I entered Glenelg in case I get stuck with another freshman year Shreya who's just kind of... (laughs) Um, like very fortunately, actually, there was, um, another student who recently moved from River Hill to Glenelg and we had almost identical debating records and experiences. And because I'd been debating that entire year trying to prep for Glenelg, 
we were pretty much like on the same level. Like we ended up being a really good match and we ended up going to like nationals. We won States junior year and stuff. So like we did really well together, but none of that would have happened if I hadn't gotten redistricted because I would have stayed in my comfort zone. So even though it was really, really hard at the time with like friends and making friends virtually mm-hmm. in sophomore year and stuff like that, I would definitely say be moving to Glenel was good in a way because it pushed me out of my comfort zone enough to try to like fend for myself and get opportunities for myself that otherwise I might've not really been very outspoken about at Mary's Ridge. That is awkward. I didn't think about it because sophomore and then you don't really have friends either. It's hard oh, to you, friends. I was sliding into people's canvas inboxes. Like that. it's, <laughs> it's a next step up from sliding into DMs. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. One of my friends, who's actually my very good friend to this day, she never lets me live it down. The fact that I we were in virtual Spanish together mm-hmm. and I decided to canvas inbox her my number and she does not let me live it down. And that's how we yeah. met Because at the exact same time that I was canvas inboxing my number. She just looked me up on Instagram and DM'd me. And I don't oh. know why that never occurred to me to do that and instead go into her canvas inbox. Mm-hmm. She never lets me live it down. And that's how we met. But I will tell you, I have like similar experiences, not with friends, but with like group projects. I could not, I did not know how to like be on the breakout rooms. I'd be like, I don't. Yeah. Not talking. <laughs> They're not communicating. Right. So I would go into the canvas inbox because you have them because you're in the class with them. I'd be like, hey, here's my number. Can you get your work done by blah, blah. And it's so like, you know, you're being weird and creepy, but it's like, I don't have any other way. I know. Um, oh, I'm so bad. God, it's like. Yeah, and the Instagram thing never occurred to me either. God, that's so awkward. (laughs) All right, whatever. So you said debate was a big one. Can you go a little bit further into, like, what is the process of, you know, starting at the school level for debate? What are the different levels? And then what does it take to actually get two states? And then you said you competed at nationals too. Yeah, so it's there's two major circuits in speech and debate. One is NSDA, which is the National Speech and Debate Association. And the other is NCFL, which is the National Catholic Forensic League. But it has nothing, it's not like religious at all. It's just the name of the Mm -hmm. But basically, all of the Howard County schools compete in the NCFL circuit. So essentially, that means all the competitions that you would go through to you would go to through your school speech and debate club would primarily be NCFL tournaments. And they're called BCFLs because it's the Baltimore region of the Catholic Forensic League. If you achieve a certain record at those, then you qualify for NCFL, which is the national tournament every year. And that's hosted at different locations throughout the country. So last year was in DC. So we didn't have to go very far. Um, And then that NCFL, the Nationals, hosts over 400 schools from around the country. And Mm -hmm. in that one, basically, there's preliminary rounds. So you would debate, uh, I think, five or six rounds. And then based on if your record in those five or six rounds was good enough, you'd advance to elimination rounds afterwards. Mm -hmm. So last year, junior year, um, we went... At BCFL, you needed to go 3-0. So you needed to win all three of your rounds at at least two different competitions. So once we did that, we qualified for Metros, which is the name of the state competition. And at the state competition, we won first place out of the best 24 teams in this region. So we went into nationals with seed one from our region, technically. And uh, then we competed against six teams over six rounds. They were from various places around the country, a couple California teams, Midwest, whatever. And then I think we went 5-1 in prelims. So that record was good enough to advance us to eliminations. So then we came back for day three and we did eliminations. And then we got very, very humbled by this team of seniors 
Um, I remember it was this time last year. It was May of last year. We were juniors and they absolutely like obliterated us in this round. And they were like, good job guys. Like after the round. And I was trying to comfort myself like, oh, they're probably like poli sci kids or something like they're seniors, you know, like they're probably committed to like Harvard for like business Mm -hmm. or international affairs. And they were like, oh yeah, no, we just do this for fun. Like we're both in STEM, like debates just kind of fun for us. The one dude was committed to Carnegie Mellon computer science and the other was committed to Brown BSMD. Like baffles me to this day, but (laughs) yeah. So I had a question on my tongue. Um, Was this someone from Thomas Jefferson? I don't think so. I don't think it was, but because primarily because I feel like I would have remembered them very distinctly, like the school very distinctly if it was TJ, but I don't think it was because it was some like California school probably. Oh, okay. Because my brother, he's a freshman now and he's in Model UN. He's also in debate, but um, he's he keeps talking about Thomas Jefferson and how like they always win the awards and they always like, I was, I was just wondering if it was the same for debate. TJ, TJ wins everything. Like it's not... Okay. Okay. So it's universal. Cause he's like, they're winning all the awards and they, he's like, they talk so fast. You don't even know what they're saying. Yeah. So, <laughs> all right. So one thing before we get into your other extracurriculars going into freshman year, did you know, I know what your major is. Cause I looked at your Instagram <laughs> post, but going into high school, did you know what you wanted to do? And did that in any way impact what clubs and stuff you joined? Okay. So absolutely not. I had no idea what I wanted to do. And to reinforce that, I just want to say, I still don't know what I want to do. Like, yes, I did apply for a major, but I applied for a major simply because I thought that that was better than applying undecided. But even now, after I'm committed to a school, I'm changing my major and I'm probably going to change it again, like at least three more times before I settle on a degree. Um, That had absolutely no influence in deciding what extracurriculars and stuff I wanted to do. If anything, I feel like my extracurriculars determined what major I applied into because I just honestly had no idea what I wanted to do. Uh-huh. might have been a little more backwards. Uh-huh. Okay. So just for a record, you're applying ComSci and bioengineering? I applied everywhere for biomedical engineering um, because I thought that that's what suited my resume really well. And I knew that I wanted to stay somewhere in the STEM area. But mm-hmm. now... Since I'm going to Penn, I also want to incorporate elements of CS into it just because I feel like, like my parents are both in IT and programming is one of those things that it never hurts to learn. Like you won't be hurt by it. So as of right now, I'm thinking of some combination of CS and engineering, but that's very much prone to change. So I was saying, because my dad, he's, um, he's computer scientist and he keeps like on my left, he was pushing and he was saying like, even if you don't want to do it, you should still learn it because it's going to be everywhere. And now I've kind of finally given in and realized like you can't escape it if you want to exactly. amount to anything. All right. So let's get on to the rest of your extracurriculars. So I'm going to let you take it from here because I don't know your resume. So can you go down at least your main extracurriculars you did throughout high school? And then we'll like talk about them and the impact that they had on you. Yeah. So honestly, I feel like my entire high school experience, like academic extracurricular wise was pretty much like a love letter to Hopkins. I did a lot there. And so when I applied to- Did you get in? I did. I did get into Hopkins. (laughs) Okay. Um, (laughs) basically so freshman and sophomore year I didn't really know what I was doing like I said I was pretty much just joining clubs at random and trying to figure out what other people were doing because I didn't have a point of reference to be like oh you need to uh do ISEF or like you need to do like all the whatever whatever it is I didn't really have a point of direction so freshman and sophomore year I kind of did that and then sophomore year I started hearing about internships like it's really important to have an internship whatever whatever 
And so I was like, okay, my parents are both in IT. I don't want to do computer science. So I don't really have connections in what I want to do that I can just like easily set myself up with. So I didn't really know how to approach things. Essentially, I did an internet deep dive on how high schoolers find research opportunities with professors because I knew that I had Hopkins close to me and that would that was a name that could be valuable on my resume. Me too. So, Internships for high schoolers. Yeah. In Maryland. <laughs> <laughs> the only thing is I didn't want to apply through an internship program because I'd already tried APL. And the problem with those is that because like they're kind of voluntary, it's very like hit or miss. Like they're not really ensuring that your application will even be read all of the time. It's just kind of like, it, it kind of just like, it's very, I don't know how to describe it. It's very, it's too hit or miss for me. I wanted something where I knew that I was getting in contact with the person that I wanted to research okay. with. So I went a different route and I did cold emails. Basically, I found I found a Quora article on how to structure these kind of like research inquiry emails. Essentially, it's pretty simple. You just write a paragraph about like what your experience has been so far and why you want to intern or research with that professor. And you tie in their interests or their research projects that they've done in the past before. And then you talk about what kind of value that you would add to the lab, touch your resume to the end of that email and send it over. You, this has like probably the worst response rate of any way you could probably try to find an internship. I think at the end of sophomore year, when I was trying to find this in like internships, I went on the Hopkins faculty directory for biochemistry and molecular biology, because I had recently taken AP bio and I was convinced that bio was my calling. Mm -hmm. It was not, I can say that very confidently now, but I genuinely thought that like bio lab science was like it for me. So I went on the Hopkins faculty directory for biochem and molecular biology. And I looked through their professors and I basically sent emails to about 30 to 40 professors, I think, in like over the span of a couple of days. I think like two got back to me, but one of them kind of ghosted me after the initial email when he responded. Mm -hmm. The other one was the mentor that I eventually ended up working with. I love her so much. She wrote all of my recommendation letters for me. She's absolutely amazing. She basically set up a little like Zoom, not really interview, but just kind of getting me acquainted with what their lab does because it was a Drosophila lab, which is a fruit fly lab. So they work with this model mm -hmm. organism and then use it use it to conduct research on yeah. a couple of different things. So I had this interview meeting. It went pretty well. Basically, I think all professors are looking for from high school interns is so much more enthusiasm than it is actual knowledge really like i had nothing on my resume besides having taken ap bio at that point it was a very like literally oh my god it was a very barren resume there was nothing stand out about it at all but i think the way you approach them and the amount of enthusiasm that you show for whatever it is that you're trying to get into that is your make or break factor not what you've done in the past because they understand at the end of the day you're a 15 year old kid like you're yeah. not going to have awards and publications on your resume it's about do you actually want to learn and they want to help you learn so long as you actually want to learn in the first place so i'm going to so, add on to something before you get into your experience yeah. So I have the same thing. So I'm working at a lab at the FDA for my senior year. And, you know, I did the same thing. I was, um, well, I got this through like someone at my school they knew. But when I was first emailing, I was emailing to people at the NIH and whatever. And just as Shreya said, the enthusiasm that you need to have, like, I was out here looking at the NIH faculty page, looking at specific people reading their abstracts for papers they wrote and mentioning it in the email like you really have to like yeah. 
do your like show that you really care and that you actually went beyond just looking up their name and sending a copy and paste right. email. So like right. just to reinforce that you really have to go for it. I did the same. I emailed so many people. Mm-hmm. 90% of them were like retired. And for some reason, their name was still on the page. <laughs> like, I, Sorry, my lab is closed. I can't do anything. But yeah, just so you really have to keep pushing. Ashria said. To put things into context, you are trying to convince somebody who likely has a multi-million dollar laboratory funded yes. by a multi-billion dollar university or corporation that you, a 15-year-old, are mm-hmm. going to add some sort of value to their lab. You're yes. not. In the grand scheme of things, you are not going to add value to that lab. But what you are going to do is you are going to show up with the energy and the enthusiasm that really only comes with youth. And at the end of the day, if these people are professors, they got into that job because they enjoy teaching. They want to work with young kids. They want to help them learn. And as long as you display the fact that you're willing to learn, you're eager to learn, that's what's going to be whether you get that position or not. So much more than whatever awards or honors exactly. that you have. Same. I came, I was like, I had a five on the AP chem exam. That's my only qualification. <laughs> That's impressive. I did not take the AP chem exam. I'm taking chem this year uh-huh. and I could not be bothered to take yeah. this. Have you heard of chem and centennial? Yeah. Oh, he's, he slaughters you to the point <laughs> where the AP exam is nothing. Like I walked in, I slept during that exam because of how hard his tests were during the year and how much prep he did. Yeah, that was my calc teacher too. The Okay, wait, going back into this internship thing. So I got the position basically, and it was at Bloomberg School of Public Health, which is a really famous school of public health by Hopkins, and it's in Baltimore. So essentially it worked out an agreement where the last two weeks of summer before the school year, I would literally go in nine to five and I would just work at the lab. There was so much to get used to, like mm-hmm. how they make like food for the flies. How do they record different things? What kind of instruments do they use? There was a lot to learn there and then itself. Then after those two weeks, when school started, I would basically go in twice a week, 4.30 to 7.30 usually, or four to seven, four, seven, seven, 30. Um, on the weekdays, and I would work at the lab there. And I was given my own little like research project where I was basically experimenting whether the absence of certain genes in the Drosophila genome led to increased survival on a high fat diet. So we basically, it was really cool. We ordered a bunch of flies that had different parts of their genomes cut out. Mm-hmm. And then once we got them, we kind of bred them to make sure they were like pure. And then we put them on this 30% coconut oil high fat diet. And once we did that, we could, we were basically observing over time if any of them stayed alive for more than what was expected, like significantly more than what was expected. And if that was the case, then that could be an indication that the lack of the genes that were cut out could maybe have some sort of effect on their impact. And this was really prevalent in today's society because like Western diets in general are just getting so much more high fat. And so it really had like real world implications as well, which is why I thought it was really cool. And it was a really great like learning opportunity definitely. Mm-hmm. And then, so do you work every weekday four to seven or certain weekdays four to seven? Twice, twice a week, twice Tuesdays week. and Thursdays. Okay. And then for college, I forgot to talk about this during debate, but on your college application, again, there's only what 150 characters or something to describe your extracurricular. Yeah. So for both debate and for your internship at the lab, what did you, what did you want to point out and what did you write for that? I can actually, it might be better for me to just pull it up. Um, The thing about common app is because you're given so few characters, you really need to make sure that you're 
like words matter. Don't be writing like complete sentences and stuff yeah. like that. Like it's really not what you're trying to do. So I have a PDF pulled up. Let me look. I don't know where my activity section is. Okay. I got it. I got it. Okay. So the very first thing I put in my number one activity was this internship that I was just talking about. And I labeled it molecular biology intern in the Johns Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health, Department of Biochem and Molecular Biology. I worked during 10th and 11th grade during school and the summer break for about six hours a week. Like I said, Mm -hmm. uh, three hours a day, twice a week, 40 hour week. 40 weeks a year. And my 140 characters was investigated the effects of high fat diets on Drosophila flies with chromosomal deficiencies, use lab microscopes to image ovarial stem cells. That was the second kind of thing that we did. Once we had flies that had been on the high fat diet, we basically used their, we basically were able to look at their ovaries under um, these really high powered magnets magnify telescopes. Oh my gosh. I don't know what I'm saying right now. Um, <laughs> these, uh, machines. And we were able to see down to like the stem cells in their ovarials and count whether being on a high fat diet affected the amount of stem cells that were in their ovaries at the end of their life. Yeah. So that was another cool thing we did. And I included that in my comment too. And then for debate, what did you write? So debate, I believe was like the th- third or fourth thing. So I combined two things. I was the captain of public forum debate at Glenelg High School, speech and debate, which is my school. So for the actual description, I said, wrote constructives and compiled research on a variety of social, economic, and political issues, competed in NSDA and NCFL national circuit tourneys. But I put... I believe two debate awards in my honor section as well. So this was just my description for activities. I also, for like my awards, I guess I put debate as my number one and three awards. I think I put like NCFL and I put Harvard on there. 2022 Harvard national forensics debate tournament, triple qualifier and 2022 speech and debate NCFL grand nationals, double octaves qualifier. All right. So You said debate was your number four. So can you at least talk about your number two, number three extracurricular? And then the rest you can kind of like zoom through. Yeah. So number one was the internship that I did junior year that I just read. Number two is the internship that I'm currently doing. But I'm going to talk about number three first because number three is how I got the number two internship. So basically at the end of junior year, I was looking for summer internships because I wanted something to really solidify my resume because I only had that one internship basically carrying my resume up to this point. Mm -hmm. So I was actually signed up for a debate camp in Boston for a very long time. I had signed up for it like six months in advance with my partner from Potomac Debate. And we were going to go there and it was supposed to be like really, really educational and like fun, whatever. It was like two week camp. Then I got a flyer from one of our family friends who got his PhD from Hopkins. So he's in the Hopkins faculty alumni um, mailing list. And they were basically starting a summer pre-collegiate program for high schoolers in biomedical engineering. It was the very first year they were ever running anything of the sort. And it was probably the most like win-win-win program you could ever find. So first of all, a lot of schools, when they advertise pre-collegiate programs, they try to get you to spend thousands of dollars for that school's name on your resume. So when you're applying to these like, oh, like Stanford, whatever, whatever, or even Johns Hopkins has a paid pre-collegiate program, you're going there and you're learning on the university's campus and you're paying them thousands of dollars to be able to say that you went to a Johns Hopkins pre-collegiate program, not just any pre-collegiate engineer. This one was unique in the sense that they pay you. So immediately it was stipended. 
you get $2,500 for one month, the month of July, which where do you think where the, the number actually came from doing $15 minimum wage time 40 hour weeks times four weeks. So however much money you'd be getting for working a full-time job above minimum wage at $15 an hour, mm-hmm. they were paying you for one month for it. And let me just tell you, I did not do nearly that amount of work. And all the work that I did was learning. I did not do anything for Hopkins. I learned for four weeks and I got paid $2,500 to do it. It was probably win, win, win. Oh my God. Like I said, win, win, win. So I went there in July. When I saw that, it was in biomedical engineering. So I was like, hey, this might add a lot more value to my resume than like a debate camp or something like that. Because ultimately, I do want to go into STEM. And I was thinking of applying in BME. So when I went there, I went there for the month of July. We got to stay in Hopkins undergrad campus in their rooms. So it was so much fun. We stayed in their uh, residential dorm hall buildings. It was Charles Commons, which is for sophomores. It's the prettiest dorms that they have. They were like little sweet style apartments. It was adorable. I met people from literally all around the world. But the thing is, they only accepted 18 kids in the entire world to do it. Thankfully, because it was the first year, not many people knew about it. So I didn't have to like elbow my way into this room. Mm-hmm. I just kind of applied on a whim and I was like, oh, if I get in, I get in. And I got in. So mm-hmm. the month of July, there was so many like forms and all that stuff to fill out, whatever. Month of July comes around. I go there for a month and it is literally the coolest experience I've ever had before. They compressed the entire freshman year of biomedical engineering undergraduate at Johns Hopkins into four weeks. So we were learning every day. We had a biologics portion, a computational portion, and a design portion. So we were in a lab one third of the time where we were given like induced pluripotent stem cells that were differentiated into cardiomyocytes, which are heart cells. Mm-hmm. We put different compounds on them and observed them over time. And at the by the end of the month, we watched them beat like we watched our heart cells beat because there were stem cells that were then used into cardiomyocytes super super cool in the computational portion which is the more cs portion um that had so much to do with like python uh graphing utilities like matplotlib really just learning when you're given a set of data how do you clean it how do you make it usable and how do you visualize it those three things were the main part of the cs portion that was also really cool we got to work with some things that i've never worked with before but fortunately i knew python going in so it wasn't that strenuous my favorite part was design so A lot of biomedical engineering, for those who don't know what that major really is, it has a lot to do with entrepreneurship and design. Essentially, you're designing solutions to improve healthcare, whether that be a new instrument for surgery, or it might be some sort of AI program to help diagnose a patient or whatever it is. You're creating something that makes healthcare better. So a lot of it obviously has to do with startups. A lot of people from Hopkins or other BME programs, they hit on some product, they think, hey, this is profitable, and they try to launch a startup. So Hopkins has so many resources based in entrepreneurship, and we got to actually work with their design team and their entrepreneurship hub to work in groups, create a solution to a some cardio-related issue, and then market it. So we basically redesigned the at-home blood pressure monitor. We made it a very like sleek cuff and then made a Bluetooth smartphone app that paired with it. And we made it super cost-effective because 
app is free and it's just the cuff that you're buying. Um, Made it available to low-income communities and it didn't need internet. We added a ton of cool features to it basically. And then we got to pitch our design pitch for this product to actual Hopkins BME faculty and staff, one of which was the Dean of Undergraduate Admissions for Biomedical Engineering at Hopkins. So that was super, super cool. Really cool experience. Anyway, as I was saying, the name of the program, which I forgot to mention before, was iSpeed, which is Immersive Summer Program in Enrichment, Education, and Design. Mm-hmm. It's in it's iSpeed in BME. It's open to mostly rising seniors, but also a couple of rising juniors as well. And unfortunately, it's not international. I think it's only in the U.S. because they have to put you on Hopkins payroll, so they can't do international. Okay. But it's basically for everybody in the U.S., um, and you, I believe, have to be a citizen as well. So for this like I said, the program was a really, really cool experience and they, it's designed to feed into Hopkins BME. So they want these students to apply to Hopkins BME after graduating from this program, which is why they purposefully get you, they, there was a day where they literally just brought in Hopkins admissions officers and had them talk about what they look for in Mm -hmm. applications when they're reading essays to Hopkins. They brought in so many guest lecturers and faculty from literally everywhere because um, their alumni network is so huge and broad reaching because it's it's Johns Hopkins. They have a university, they have a hospital, they have a med school, they have a school of public health, like they have everything. So they brought in guest lecturers that are doing the coolest, like trendiest new things in healthcare, medicine, AI, anything, you name it. They would bring in these guest lecturers for us. It was honestly like VIP treatment. It was so, so cool. I made so many incredible connections throughout this program as well. And it was probably one of the best things that I could have possibly done for myself as a rising senior that was about to apply to college. So one of the professors that actually came in to talk to us was um, a professor in the Department of Biomedical Engineering, and he ran a neuroengineering and bioinstrumentation lab. He gave us a lecture on something called brain-computer interfaces, which is exactly what it sounds like. Essentially, people who are disabled, um, they could be amputees or they could be paralyzed. People who aren't able to use their own limbs as they normally would be able to. Essentially, what research is working on right now is to fit some sort of device to read the electrochemical signals from their brain, translate those brain waves into code for a actual machine prosthetic, a robotic arm, if you will, and translate that into movement. He showed us a video of this. <laughs> sorry. <Yeah. coughs> this woman from a clinical trial, and she was a paraplegic patient. She hadn't moved her arms in years. They literally fit a device on the top of her scalp, and that device was reading her brain waves. She was controlling a robotic arm using her thoughts alone. So essentially, the process that you would go about when thinking like, oh, I want to lift my arm, or I want to drop my arm, or I want to wave my hand, or shake hands, whatever it is, that same process translated into a robot arm, which was literally like, that is so fascinating. So, so, so cool to think about. Like, are you crazy? Are you kidding? That's crazy. So I immediately talked to him after the lecture and I was like, this is so great. Like, I would love to intern at your lab. That's it for part one of my interview with Shreya. Make sure you subscribe so you know when part two comes out. Other than that, I hope to see you then.